So first of all, I'm going to tell you about this great life that we're called to. So, uh, Ant said at the start, we're called to joy. But if you were here last week, um, we talked a lot about joy. So if you weren't here last week, listen back online. We're not going to cover it again. I don't want to say that I did it to death because that just does joy a bit of a disservice. But we are called to joy and it's a brilliant thing. Take that as read. The next thing we're going to look at is how to be, the next calling that we have is that we are called to be gentle. See that up there on the text, uh, four, chapter 4, verse 5. Chapter 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Gentleness is one of those words that's a bit like meekness, in that we, th- we think it's what happens to people when they're just not man enough, when they're just not up for life enough. We, just, we think you end up being meek and you end up being gentle. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about meekness and gentleness, it requires great strength. This requires real inner strength. It's this idea, so I've tried to coin it, I'm trying to get us to think about what it's like. This idea, to, it's a capacity to demonstrate some care no matter what the circumstance. You've, we see gentleness when, I think, when somebody's got great power and great strength, and yet the way that they use that is really delicate and really caring and really gentle. So you see it in things like uh, when a big butch fella becomes a parent and you know that he's got power and you know that he's got strength and yet he holds on to this little baby and you say, oh, look, isn't he being gentle because he's so strong and he's so butch but he's using it in a really kind way. I think you see that gentleness increased when you realize this big butch guy's wrecked and the baby's just been a nightmare and yet because he's still... And here's the thing, because, he's to, because he loves this baby, because he sees the baby's bigger picture, he's able to still be gentle. We see it in, another way to think through it is, see it as an older couple, one looking, after, one looking after the other. Maybe one of them's not well, one of them's well, and you see gentleness in some of the care that you've got to display to an older person. My, my, my gran and my granddad, my granddad had Alzheimer's. My gran was a saint, and she looked after him, and he wasn't, I and mean, it's tragic, but he wasn't very nice some of the time. That's how it manifested itself. And the, the sort of gentle care, because she loved him, because she saw the bigger picture, was just, it was like, I can remember, I was only little, but I can remember it now. It was a beautiful thing. But with our gentleness, here's what we do with our gentleness. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're more awesome than me. But I think with our gentleness, because we here's what I see. I, I got a football uh, on a Saturday morning, and it's full of guys, and I know that I know that back home they've got loved ones, they've got kids or they've got partners or whatever, and they're really gentle with them. But then when you, when you get in the public arena, what do we do with our gentleness? We can't, everyone fronts up on a Saturday morning and it's really, there's lots of like thighs, nobody thigh slaps, but everyone's, everyone, everyone sort of fronts up, there's this gloss, there's this public persona that we learn, don't we, throughout our lives. We're like, I, I, can't, I can't be that gentle person out there because I will get if I show the levels of compassion I show at home, and then I do that in the changing room, or I do it at work, or I do it at school, or whatever else it is, I will get destroyed. Here's what, here's what Paul calls us to, this perfect life. Notice it. Let your gentleness, don't just be gentle in the home, because that's what happens. Don't confine it to the home. He says, let your gentleness take that gentle nature, that care for others, that compassion that you have, take that out into the public arena and share it with others. And as I'm saying that to you now, I can hear you going, well, 
see what you're calling to me to, Ash, but there's just no, in a griff Yorkshire voice, there's no way I'm being gentle in the public arena. I was trying to, I was trying to think of a, an example of how somebody's been gentle and then it's kind of blown everybody away. And there aren't many of these. There's one right in the middle of the Bible. It's a great one. It's the best example of that, but you know that story. Another one I could think of was Nelson Mandela. Are you familiar with Nelson Mandela? I hope so. He wasn't always gentle. I think somewhere in that prison on Robin Island, he learned gentleness. And he reached a point in his life when he was given all the power that the country could afford. And he must have been burnt up with anger. Anger and power. And yet, when he's in that position, he demonstrates with all that power. I mean, it could have been, it could have been a bloodbath, couldn't it? And it still is, and it's still a struggle. But he demonstrates gentleness. And we've got black African men who, sh- you know, who struggle, but who should have been raging with anger. Our challenge to think differently about the white guy because Nelson Mandela showed gentleness. It's a beautiful, awesome quality. Can you imagine a world where everybody cut, cut everybody some slack? Everybody was willing to bear with Everybody was willing to make themselves vulnerable. Everybody thought about everybody else's bigger picture. Can you imagine living there? Wouldn't that be an amazing place? Gentleness. So that's the first one. There's three, so go with it. Second one is that we should be assured. Here's what the text says, verse 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a big deal, anxiety these days, isn't it? I mean, it's probably always been a big deal, but now we understand it a little bit more. And I am, so I speak to the crowd as somebody who is anxious, as somebody who even fessing up has had anxiety problems in his past. So I know what it means. And when, I, when we think about worries, they, they feel to me, as somebody who's experienced this stuff, maybe they don't to you, but feel to me like, like kind of weights we carry around. And you can't, you can't put them anywhere, ever. You get a worry, and you almost feel like, this is, this is me. So you go around living your life, and you sort, of, you sort of have a bunch of weights in your hand, and you try and keep living, and you're going through day to day, and you've still got them. And eventually, what happens is we, we just can't cope. One of the biggest reasons people take time off work, what is that? It's stress and anxiety. It breaks us, doesn't it? Here's Paul's formula. Hand things over to God because he's all-powerful and he's trustworthy. It's not, that, it's not that everything will be right in your life. It's just that you know a guy who is all-powerful and good and in control and you go every morning, you get up and you go, I'm just going to put everything there and I trust that this God will look after me. Can you imagine a world where you didn't have any worries? We get a glimpse of it. It's, a, it's on holiday, and it's about day four. That's, that's where it is. You're, just, you're far enough, because first couple of days on holiday, and it helps if you're abroad, because you're further away from your problems. About day, if you're going for two weeks, it might be a bit, little bit longer, but right in the middle, because at the start, you're still thinking about where you've come from, and at the end, you're thinking about, oh man, I've got to go home. But for a couple of golden days in the middle, it's all distant. And what happens when the anxiety goes? It's, 
I mean, is this you where you look, you just for a second you see the world in a different way, don't you? you maybe if you're away with your spouse, you realize how beautiful they are again. Or you see the world a bit differently. Or maybe, maybe you realize what you first saw in them. Or maybe you realize the way that they used to make you laugh or something like that. And you look, you look out at the sea and you're like, oh, this place is wonderful. You re-engage with the world in a different way when your anxieties go. You just really experience life better. So we be gentle, we live assured. Here's the last one. And I was gonna I was gonna say think positively, but I don't think that's what we've been called to here in this little bit. I think it's deeper than that. I think we've been called to focus on the good. A lot about positivity, isn't there, these days. I think this is about focusing on the good. So it's finally, brothers, I think this is verse eight. <clears throat> finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So this is the, this is the formula that Paul presents. He says in every... So I don't think this is just positivity. I don't think this is just look at the glasses half full in everything. I think this is fill your mind. I think it's more like this. Search stuff and fill your mind for the positive things. That's the formula. Because... It's really hard to do in the world that we live in. I think, maybe the world that we've always lived in, it's, there is so much uh, social media, so much on the news, so much of our life experience asks us to think cynically and negatively about the world, doesn't it? And, and what goes in here at some point comes out. It's what we fill our minds with. So I grew up, I grew up in the mill I'm going to say that every week, but I grew up in the mill, and my granddad always used to get the mail, and I said in my notes, I wouldn't mention which newspaper it was, but this, this mail, I used to read it every day, and I came out as, with, with, with slightly cynical, I just, I just would represent the views that I read, and I, just because it was what was filling up my mind, and we're called here to fill our minds up, you can imagine that, fill our minds up with the with the positive things in life, with the good things. Search the circumstance and see the good things. And so often it's not that way, but every now and again, so share this with me, every now and again, there's, the news is nearly always like tricky and you come away thinking cynically about the world. It's a bad story, it's a tough story, things are hard and, and it's like that. But every now and again, beautifully, there is a great story and the whole nation watches it. And I, and I moved towards good things. So do you remember the story? I think it was about a year ago now. Where I th- and I think, I can't remember the location of the boys. They were a football team. I think they were from China or something like that. And they were stuck in the caves. Do you remember that story? They were stuck in the caves. And there was a bunch of guys from the UK went out. And, and cause the whole world was kind of watching this story. And a bunch of guys from the UK went out and, and saved them heroically. And as you're watching this story, as you're, just for about 10 minutes... Like the, the, neg- the way that you see the world, you, you, you're looking at traits that are good, are selfless, kind of heroic, admirable, and it shapes your worldview just for a second. So the whole world is shaped, was shaped differently, only for 10 minutes. Gentleness, assurance, focusing on the good. Can you imagine if we could pull this off? Can you imagine that kind of world? Can you imagine how brilliant a place that would be? Can you imagine how, even if we could pull it off, just us, 80 or 90 of us. Can you imagine the impact that that would have if we were gentle? 
with each other every day, just amongst ourselves, or if we could spread that out a bit more, if we lived with that assurance, just, we could just drop the worries and we started to see life again. If we were able to look at each other and focus on the good, if we were able to look at everybody else and focus on the good, it would be like utopia. It'd be brilliant. It's a great way to live. What blocks us from experiencing that? Why is that? Because we can see that that's good. Why is that such a hard thing to do? Paul gives us a verse. He gives us a couple of verses, 18 and 19, that I think start to shed a light on why this is really difficult for us, why, why we struggle to get to this point in our lives. And it's, it's like one of those verses, it's like one of those window moments where you, where you see yourself, you see human beings, I think, and you see the way that we live and the way that we do things. For as I have often told you before and now say again with tears, many... So think about how he's going to describe people as I get to these words. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He describes the way that people are. There's a couple couple of characteristics of humanity that I think are worth just flagging up for us all just to consider. First of all, we are consumers. See, See the description there? Their stomach is their glory. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Describes a bunch of people who, whose God is their stomach, so they just, keep, they just keep eating. But they're never satisfied. That's their shame. They just go on eating. On it. They're consumers. And that is, they just go on eating and eating and eating. And the second thing, the way that he describes them, he says their minds are set on earthly things. So they can only think about here and now. Think about the society that we live in. Think about what our world asks us to be like. There's a couple of sort of blanket statements that I've picked up that describe the world that we live in and how we are shaped. Here's the first one, secular society. We live in a secular society. So if you Google that, you'll see that it means that we're, not, we're anti-religious. But if you, if you dig around at the word secular, it means a bit more than that. There's a, it's not just that we avoid religion. There's this idea of being temporal of focusing on a specific time. So when you live in a secular society, you're thinking about right now is the most important. The way I view the world, I view it, I view it through a lens that is, that is right now. Now is what matters. It focuses right on here and right, right on now. And if you think about the world that we live in, that is, that is what it's like, isn't it? We live in a secular society, and if you're like me, you buy a house that you can't afford in the future and because you want the thing right now, and, it, and it's offered to you right now. And that's the world that you live in. You get it right now. Second way that we could view uh, the world that we live in is that we live in a consumerist society, which, which sounds fine, but then when you think about what that means about people, what's that saying? We function by getting more stuff. That's how we, get, that's how, that's how we function. As a whole group of people, we just get more stuff. We are consumer-driven. So we, like, we need the next thing just to get by in life. And... Final thing is we live in an individualistic society. It's got to kind of work. It can kind of work for us on our own, and it's got to suit us. A couple of things about about this world, just to flag them up. We live in a consumerist society. What does Paul say about how people are? 
their God is their stomach, they eat and will never be filled. We live in a consumerist society, it's our God, stuff is our God, and we will want for more and more stuff, and it will never satisfy us. We're always going to want the next thing. It'll drive us nuts, and it does drive us nuts. Here's the second thing. We, we think about our stomachs, we think about ourselves, but we think about ourselves right now. Secular society, we live right in the now. Let me tell you about the now, about the way that we focus on the world now. Here's why you shouldn't put all your faith in secularism. Here's why you shouldn't put all your faith in right now. It's because right now is vulnerable. We do that. We make a God of right now. We think in a secular way, and tomorrow we wake up and our health's gone. Tomorrow we wake up and there's a financial crisis and this guy that's put all his money in his house is nowhere. We are streamed to think about ourselves here right now. Go with me and see what the underscore of how this perfect life can be lived out. See, see the way that the Bible describes how we live this perfect life out. So it's, verse, it's chapter 4. four. Notice the qualifiers for, utop- for utopian living. Rejoice, but don't just rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. You're happy because you know that the eternal God is right there with you. That is your joy. Let your gentleness to be evident to all. On its own? No, not on its own. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. The eternal God, the God of all time, the God who's got his eyes on everything. He isn't absent and he isn't not there He is near. That is the qualifier. Do not be anxious about anything. So he doesn't just say, just park all your worries. There's nothing to worry about. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The reason that we can get near to these attributes is in God. We live focused on the here and now. We live focused on us right now and God says to us in his word he said there's no way you're going to get near that unless you think about something bigger than yourself and your stomach and you think about something longer than right now joy gentleness peace focusing on good is dependent on us thinking eternally and how and outside ourselves so that's what we've got to do how on earth how on earth do we do that? Because tomorrow you wake up, you've forgotten the sermon, you're back in the middle of the week, and all this has gone out. How do we get to a place where we can live like this? How is that possible? Paul gives us a clue. It's the very next verse. And here's kind of the hook of the sermon. It's all about the way that this is possible. It's all about where home is for you. It's all about where home is for you because in home there is all of your identity there is all of your worldview there is all of how you think about the world right there wherever you wherever you place your hat wherever your home is that's how you are that is how you function so I marry a beautiful wonderful girl she's not in from Scotland and I buy a house in Cass and I think I'm gonna make this girl a Cass lass And I haven't made her a cast lass because her home and her heart is in Glasgow. She's a Glasgow girl. Her banter is Glasgow. Her her spirit is Glasgow. Her view of the world is Glasgow. That's her home. 
And she marries the idiot Yorkshireman. I'm a Yorkshireman. And I've got to tell you, people from Yorkshire, we think like nobody else on earth. We have a specific way of viewing the world. Our home shapes exactly who we are. Let me tell you something. I want to tell you the way to confuse a Yorkshireman. There's three ways to confuse a Yorkshireman. Here's the first one, and this has happened to me just very recently. First, first way, so if you're not from Yorkshire and it's new to you, think about this. Give him a hug, man or female. Go and give him a hug because, because his worldview never expects such close physical contact. His, his whole life experience is firm handshakes and grunts and nods and things like that. How are you doing? How are you doing? It's all like that. Somebody comes up and gives him a hug, he's in a trance for a week. He's, he's like a broken man. That's the first thing you can do. Second thing you can do to a Yorkshireman, give him some money. That will completely, that will completely throw him. Throw a tenner at him. Throw a tenner at him. That will, because what's the Yorkshireism? You don't get out for note. You, you go that through that your whole life, you're not expecting anything coming your way. That's your worldview. That's what you're used to. The other thing you're not expecting is warmth. Take him somewhere warm, and you've seen a Yorkshireman in a warm climate, he's completely lost. So a couple of years ago, I had all these three things happen at once. I was away in Barcelona doing mission. And at the end, at the end of the week, uh, it was celebrated, there was a big church service, and everybody kisses each other. And for a, for a guy who was not expecting physical contact, that was a bit of a shock. People gave us money, they were thrilled, and it was hot. And I was completely lost because I'm a Yorkshireman, and that has what shaped my whole view, all of my expectations are built one way and I was somewhere else. Here's what Paul's saying to these people. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. What is he saying to them? To use a colloquialism is saying you're not from around here when you're adopted as a son of God when you're faith in Jesus Christ when you're when you're on that journey you're not from around here so you don't hope the way that everybody else hopes your focus is eternal and your lives can be changed and transformed and he tells this to a bunch of people in Philippi like the Roman province, the Rome, you know, Romans are in control and they will have seen the citizens of Rome and they will have seen this idea of citizenship and the benefits that are in it for them. These Romans, are, you know, they've got a certain way of life, they've got a certain way of looking at the world, they've got a certain hope in the future and he writes to the people at Philippi and he said, yes, think about that, but your home is not here, it's in heaven. It's wrapped up with Christ. It's with all the blessings that come with Christ. It's wrapped up with the guy who's got it all under his control. It's wrapped up with the guy who's going to bring it all to fruition in the end. That is your home. When I look, and I'm wrapping up now, when I look at this list as a secular-influenced, consumerist-driven Yorkshireman, when I look at this list as a Yorkshireman, joyful all the time as a Yorkshireman, Never going to happen. No chance. Joyful all the time. Gentle to strangers. All on to be gentle as a Yorkshireman. But gentle to people I don't know. Never going to happen. Unanxious. We're expecting bad things in Yorkshire half the time. You know, we're expecting it to go wrong, aren't we? Positive outlook on life. Seeing the good in everything. 
as a Yorkshireman, no chance. But if I see this list as somebody who is saved by Christ, somebody whose hope is in heaven, somebody whose home is in heaven, then I can't any longer look at this list and go, nah, not for me. Never going to happen. I can't read it that way. I have to join with the other saints and go, there's the calling. There's what it's about. I've at least got a head in that direction.